Obstructionist Radio presents The War Room, where we discuss tactics for strategic Christian living. Mighty Lord, extend your kingdom, be the truth with Welcome to The War Room. I'm your host, Bill Evans. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing a man that I've known since 1980. Jack Campbell is a former combat Marine with a degree in warfare from the University of South Vietnam, a former ER and family practice physician's assistant. He taught medicine at the College of Charleston. Jack holds a Master's of Divinity from Columbia Theological Seminary, and he is a teaching elder in the PCA a former pastor, as well as former missionary in Madrid, Spain, and now a missionary to international scholars on two prominent Southern University campuses with Reformed Missions International. Jack is a weapons expert, certified NRA and concealed carry firearms instructor. He teaches naturopathic and homeopathic remedies, as well as organic gardening methods. He's a strong advocate for homeschooling with five living and successful adult homeschooled children. Jack has discipled hundreds of pastors, students, and families. I'd like to welcome my shooting instructor, medic, chaplain, Christian brother, and best friend, Jack Campbell. Thank you, Bill. Uh, There's a lot of things, Jack, we could talk about. Uh, every time I'm here, I, I leave loaded with new information to consider. Uh, you're not only a weapons expert, a, a certified NRA instructor, concealed carry weapons uh, instructor, um, and um, uh, self-defense and, 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 and expert in that respect. You also have taught me everything I know about uh, naturalistic and, and, and uh uh, homeopathic type remedies and organic farming and, and and many other things that you're that you're interested in. But tonight we're going to talk about something that is at the very root of what we're all about as disciples, and that is disciple making. Uh, something that uh, your whole entire life, since I've known you, has been uh, devoted to. And um, so, why don't you tell us uh, now? Uh, you're a uh, you're in a now I, I I neglected to include the fact that you were not only a pastor, uh, um, but you were in the United States, but also a missionary in Madrid, Spain, uh, and uh, you're now currently a missionary with Reform Ministries International, and you work with international scholars on two prominent Southern University campuses. That's correct. Why don't you tell us a little bit about um, your background as uh, how you first came to know even what disciple making constituted, and uh, and we'll just kind of take it organically from there. <laughs> That's great. Thankfully, when God saved me on my second time back to Vietnam through reading a Gideon's Bible 
as well as some tracks I would find in the head, and I'd scarf up and sneak back to my hooch and read them and compare it with the Gideon's King James Bible that was literally thrown at me two years prior by a, a gunny sergeant that introduced me to the Corps, which is another story in and of itself that's quite interesting. But nonetheless, uh, in God's providence, uh, what uh, I was able to understand was that the Scriptures was at the heart of our authority and direction. And so when I finished my time in Vietnam and with the Corps, I began to uh, attend the university. And at that time, from a spiritual standpoint, the only thing I knew was Jesus and the, and the very elementary, what we would call today, doctrines of grace, knowing that, uh, that only Christ saves, not by works, not by anything we do, and basically, that was the extent of my knowledge. Uh, I'd like to tell my university students here, from a spiritual standpoint, I was as dumb as dirt. Because I literally knew nothing, even though I was raised in a, uh, a very prominent, at that time, Southern Presbyterian Church. But they were in the process of leaving the scriptures and the authority of scriptures and ultimately would join with the Northern Church. Uh, and to be basically completely apostate. But at that time, uh, what was fascinating is that God in his sovereignty brought me into a group of men and women that were truly unique. And not only did they know Christ, but they wanted to make him known and they were passionate about it. Uh, this group today, I think most of your listeners would recognize is the group called the Navigators. Uh, and so as a young man, uh, I was enthralled with not only their knowledge of Scripture that they could literally quote without looking up their Bibles, because they had memorized it, but more importantly, they were personal. They were interacting. Matter of fact, uh, I can remember one summer where I learned how to have what we would call quiet times or alone times with God because the navigator rep in Huntington, West Virginia, literally took me out. We had breakfast in the morning and we'd go out for the next uh, half hour or a couple hours and literally read the scriptures, pray the scriptures, sing the scriptures, memorize the scriptures. And so as a young Christian, I began to understand uh, both the power of personal discipleship, but also to see the effects of it on not only my life, but those around me as well. That's just a, a short summary of what the Lord in his sovereignty did early on. So um, you, you credit your introduction to what it actually means to be a disciple. You credit that to the, the interest that one man took in, in you, investing time in you. Absolutely. And, and all, again, also always mixed now with the authority and the sufficiency and the power of scriptures. Uh, and this is the other thing that I saw in this one man, that when he taught, even though he wasn't an official pastor, although he became a pastor later on, as I became a pastor later on, but at that time he was a school teacher, high school teacher. Uh, but when he taught, because he had memorized the scriptures, he had internalized the scriptures, he taught with power, he taught with authority. Uh, and people from all different denominations would come to his Bible study simply because their, their particular churches were not teaching the, uh, the scriptures, were not uh, helping people learn the scriptures for themselves, to feed themselves. 
Uh, and so, so this was a powerful effect as to what modeling discipleship looked like for me. Uh, Jack, we, we both uh, understand the, the importance of books. We're sitting in your uh, discipleship room in your home, and it's full of books. Uh, but we talked earlier about um, perhaps not an overemphasis on books, but an underemphasis on building skills. Specific, would you speak uh, as a as a, a teaching elder, pastor, missionary, a man whose life is basically it's all about discipleship and making disciples? Uh, you literally disciple pastors' sons and pastors. Uh, and so you're kind of a pastor to pastors uh, in that respect. And by pastor, I don't mean that you uh, dominate over them or that you exercise authority over them, but you shepherd them. You take interest in their in their well-being, not only of their souls, but of their families, their health, their their skills. Uh, and, 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 and would you speak a little bit to um, the uh, the the unbalance that, that many young Christians have in their pursuit of knowledge only without the acquisition of the, the types of skills that go into reproducing uh, spiritually. Certainly. One of the pitfalls that many young Christians, especially young men, will fall into, especially once they begin to be introduced some of the great reform literature that we have, and to see the depth and the breadth and this, the wonder of it, is that uh, that knowledge begins to puff them up, as it were, uh, makes them very prideful because that knowledge, standing as it were on the shoulders of these giants, allows them to literally and figuratively, uh, rather, uh, be heads and tails above many of their pastors and spiritual leaders that they're interacting with. And so they become, uh, because of this knowledge, sadly puffed up and, and sadly also can be uh, known as either arrogant or aloof uh, and thinking that books, is, because they've been so helpful, uh, are the way to, to really become spiritual. And, uh, and you well know how I love books, and so this is in no way uh, denigrating the importance of literature. Uh, matter of fact, it's just putting literature in its biblical place because as important as the Bible is, for example, the height of God's revelation to us wasn't in a book. It was in his son, Jesus Christ. That is the word incarnate. Uh, and so we know from Hebrews 1, for example, uh, though God did reveal himself through uh, the prophets and the apostles, yet the, the apex of his revelation was in the person of Jesus Christ. One of the unique aspects of the Christian faith is that we recognize the truth will set you free, and the truth is certainly found in scriptures, but it is the truth, that is Jesus Christ, the person of Christ, that sets us free and provides the model for us. And so what is needed today is men, yes, well-read, yes, certainly uh, being able to have God's word in their hearts, but the tragedy today in both the pastorate as well as young men is they lack the skills, the relational skills of how to lovingly and in a humble way keep people accountable 
to the basic disciplines of the Christian life, knowing full well that we are fully accepted in Christ. There's nothing we can do to improve our standing before God because of our, our, our truly wonderful biblical stance because of God's grace being in Christ, but yet as a tool in his hand, we must develop certain skills to be able to pass on these truths, and these are relational skills. Uh, and the reason I mention this is that, for example, looking at the model of Christ himself, he could have, if he wanted to, adopted the Greek model or the Roman model and sent them to the academies uh, that were very prominent, or for that matter, the Jewish model with Gamaliel. He could have sent them to a special Jewish school, but he chose to do neither one. He chose to grab these 12 men, as it were, and basically train them in the relational, not the residential, but the relational school of Christ, where they were with him. And matter of fact, that was the testimony after he uh, died and was resurrected and was at the right hand of the Father, and his father and his followers were here literally before the courts, and when they were brought before the ecclesiastical court, these religious professionals noted that these were ordinary men, but they were ordinary men who had been with Jesus. And that was their credential. They had been with Jesus and thus were bold in their proclamation of the resurrection, the power of the risen Christ over all authority, whether it be individual, whether it be the family, whether it be the church, whether it be the state. And so we see the power, even in that first century, of this kind of relational training that, that God in the person of Christ gave us. And so, sadly, that's what I see missing today, uh, even in, in great young men in seminaries. And we have some of the best seminaries in the world, and yet, tragically, most of these seminaries uh, do not give man-on-man face-to-face instruction in personal discipleship. They know how to exegete scripture. They certainly know how to preach. They know how to do all the intellectual things necessary to be a pastor. But where most of them fall short, and this is where we're privileged to actually train a number of these men while they're in seminary, is to learn how to relationally build into others the scriptures and the basic disciplines of the Christian life, whether it be prayer, whether it be scripture memory, whether it be singing the scriptures, praying the scriptures, whether it be evangelism, uh, disciples, all these things, these are things that have to be caught, uh, not just taught. And so that's what basically uh, what we do today and uh, what uh, we've learned over these past 30 or 40 years. Jack, it, it does seem that like when a young person comes to, a young man or woman comes to faith in Christ and whether they're married or single, and they 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 start acquiring information, you know, soteriology or or, or presuppositional apologetics or, or or creation science, they start to gain this, and and they equate that wrongly with becoming a disciple. They're acquiring knowledge. Uh, I like the the uh, the title of a book that we used to be we used to read it popular. I'm sure you have a copy here. I believe it was Walt Henderson. Uh, disciples are made, not born. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've been speaking a little bit about relational relationships and the how critical that is. 
if a person, whether it be a head of a household, a father, a husband, a, a just a single guy, you have a you have a, still have a son at home who's single, you have three daughters, they're all disciple makers, mm-hmm. uh, not just disciples, but but in but disciple makers, and in some cases, maker of disciple makers. Where we one of the key verses that we always refer to is Second Timothy two two. Mm-hmm. You have multi generations of Christians that are refer, referenced in that that passage. Mm-hmm. If a person wanted to begin to self consciously model mm-hmm. Christ mm-hmm. in in the uh, making of disciples, mm-hmm. what sorts of things? What would that look like? What what sort of inc- what sort of uh, components mm-hmm. would make up that that lifestyle? Um, and, and what are some of the in your own experience? And I know that you've had a lot of it. Mm-hmm. What are sorts? What are some of the activities mm-hmm. that have proven to be some of the most fertile uh, l- workshops for building into the lives of men and women? Good question. The first and foremost, out of all of the disciplines and the activities that any Christian can be involved in, is simply hiding God's Word in their heart. How shall a young man make his way pure or make it straight? Well, the Scripture tells us in Psalm 119 that to hide it in their heart. And so the first thing, as a matter of fact, this is, I can remember as a young as a young christian i uh was on the front porch of a good buddy of mine who was also converted about the same time i was in in 1970 i was in okinawa going back to vietnam he was in huntington west virginia uh, and even though we were on opposite sides of the world the lord began to use scripture memory in our lives in tremendous ways and i can remember after coming back and from the Nam and going back in country, as we called it, and sitting on his front porch in Huntington, West Virginia. And I had a number of struggles at that time in my own life as a young Christian. And I can remember talking with this friend of mine who I'd known since the third grade. And he and I were part of a wild group uh, known as the Crew. And we had done this dumb and stupid as well as Ill- many illegal things in high school as unconverted men do. And yet I can remember sitting on his porch asking him very specific questions, relational questions, life questions. And I can remember him giving me the answers. And I can remember the answers were with true power. And I said, "Uh, Alan, how in the world do you know all this information? Uh, You and I grew up together, and I know we didn't learn it in Sunday school or church because we never attended those a whole lot. How do you know? He goes, well, Jack, the reason I know it is that I'm, I'm memorizing scripture now. And of course, my first response was, oh, yuck, memorizing, how boring. And I was always an action kind of a fellow, even as an unconverted fellow. Uh, and uh, I couldn't think of anything more boring uh, than memorizing a book. And yet, as he began to describe to me, so no, no, this is, this is feeding on the very words of God. This is building up your soul. This is doing what you in the Marine Corps called push-ups, only this is with, with, with doing it, uh, as it were, in your soul. And so I suggest that you, you uh, memorize these passages, and that's where I basically found out about the Navigator. Because when I first told me about this system called the Topical Memory System, 
I thought the navigators were like a trucking company or some kind of shipping company uh, that I needed to go to. Little did I know it was a Christian organization. Also, little did I know that I could have gone to the local Christian bookshop, which I didn't know they even existed at that time, and buy that scripture memory packet from them. So I ordered uh, via the, uh, the snail mail at that time, the only kind of mail we had, and, and ordered this packet and began memorizing scripture on my own. And I dare say the first six months after I began memorizing the scriptures, that was the number one most powerful sanctifying effect. And the reason I mentioned this, Bill, is because having gone to seminary myself, having trained many individuals that have gone to seminary, that are in seminary, tragically, most seminaries, even though, and I'm going to talk about the best Reformed seminaries, so we're not talking about the bad guys that don't believe the Scriptures. We're talking about the good seminaries that do believe the Scriptures, that teach the Scriptures. And yet, sadly, most of these seminaries do not teach scripture memorization not just the basics of it but the importance of it and the practical application of it in witnessing and in discipleship and christian living and everything else and so if there is one discipline above all the others it was it would simply be learning how to hide god's word in your heart and then the next with that would be asking god for a man or woman, depending on, on who it might be, ladies with ladies, men with men in this case, for a, a mentorship kind of relationship that would hold you accountable to that discipline. Because that discipline is so important that the enemy of your soul will do everything he can to keep you away from it. Yeah, I can remember, um, this is for our listeners, now of course in the intervening time I, I, I went through a lot of deep water <laughs> The valley of the shadow of death is full of water, folks. It's it's it's. But uh, I can remember uh, having just met you back in uh, in in in, uh, in after the military, and you were already uh, you were practicing. But we had we had met, and we used to run back in those days. Uh, I was a runner. Uh, don't do much of it anymore. But we used to run and review scripture, mm-hmm. and and I and I have to say that. Uh, even through some really dark times in my life that the scriptures that I by God's grace managed to hide in my heart back in the in in the navy literally saw me through and that is what God the Holy Spirit uses uh you know where he says in Hebrews that it 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 pierces to the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrow well, what the Holy Spirit is using is the bread of life that has been hidden inside of us. Mm-hmm. He turns it against us to to slice us and dice us and sanctify us. So not only is it not only is it a great tool in terms of evangelism or dealing with your children and counseling mm-hmm. or just responding to the events of life, but in personal sanctification, there's nothing. Nothing as valuable as the Word of God hidden inside of us. Absolutely. And the beauty of that is that especially when you include that in your relational discipleship, that this is one of the elements of building personal relationships along the lines of truth that will last and being able to keep in mind that you want to, and this is for all of us now, we have to have a view for transgenerational as well as cross-cultural outreach 
And this is where the scriptures will allow us to do both, to cross cultures, as well as to look toward not just our own children, but our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, our great-great-great-grandchildren, etc. And so these are truths that we can pass on to them, but tragically, as, is, as relatively easy as this is to do, it's one of the hardest to maintain and I believe part of it is because the enemy of our souls and this the old nature itself uh, rebels against that kind of of uh, of Christ-focused, God-honoring discipline that will truly make us strong, enabling us to mortify sin, to put sin to death, so it doesn't put us to death in the sense of take us out of the battle. Yeah, not only not only is Scripture if you're going to invo- uh, have a lifestyle. Uh, that incorporates scripture memory, then it also has to be a lifestyle that incorporates scripture review. Absolutely. Be- because it's a perish it's perishable. Yeah. And matter of fact, it, the word is not perishable, but the word in us uh, is perishable. Absolutely. And actually that is why one of the reasons in our training uh, there is a passage that uh, we go over uh, and it's from Second Peter chapter one, verses twelve through fifteen. And the amazing thing is, uh, this is written uh, by a man who, uh, as most of your listeners will know, uh, said boldly, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never, and then went on and denied him three times. And yet God not only forgave him, but in his later life, specifically in Second Peter, we see him as a mature disciple maker, as a mature disciple of Christ, writing these words to people that he knows because God has already revealed to him that he's going to die for him. And he wants to give them words to pass on so that they will have a transgenerational ministry. And this is what he says. So, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And this is the especially this last passage here, verse 15 is the one that I like to to camp out on. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Now let me read that again, because this is at the heart of our discipleship training. Some of the, it involves some of the skill sets, some of the actions that we include in our training. I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things and the tragedy is bill and you look at your own education you know, I look at my own education both undergraduate education in medical science as well as graduate education in my master's in divinity which is a funny name of a of a degree of masters who can be a master in, in, in divine things as it were but nonetheless that's the name of the program that most of us went through but most of those programs were basically programs where we had to write papers upon papers upon papers, had to read hundreds of books, 
and to write essays on those books. But I can't remember. And I went to the best, some of the very best. I went to the, what I thought was the best of the seminary. But nonetheless, men I've trained have been to the best of the seminaries. And I've asked them this question. Out of all the hours of training and the assignments that you have been given, we have, as it were, been dump trucked information into our lives. That is, we've been given information. But how many times did our professors spend time teaching us, like, for example, Peter is doing here, that after we leave their class, they will be able to always remember these things. And that's a challenge because as I look in my own training, that where that's where the challenge is is hardest because it takes creativity, takes discipline, takes accountability. How do you get people to remember things? Because we're like sieves, as it were, uh, where you, we we take a instead of uh, instead of uh, of course now the Lord tells us that in in one sense we are sieves. He calls us specifically cracked pots. <laughs> and so when I call you a crackpot, Bill, and that that's not being being a derogatory saying. as a figurative speech that the Lord uses for all of us in Christ because of our sinful natures. And the tragedy is. We don't take time to help people recall those truths. And so one of the things we use in our castle training, that maybe later on we might want to talk about, is to be able to think about how can we help them remember those things when we will leave them, when they will leave us. You know, it seems like uh, we don't talk about it much, but when you think of the one of the most, uh, <laughs> one of the most devastating uh, residual effects of the fall is forgetfulness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we think, well, yes, you know, we have, uh, because of the fall, we are prone to greed or jealousy or lust or, or whatever, but forgetfulness, and, and in fact, I, I can't think of any, and I, I would dare call it not just a human proclivity, but sin came as a result of the fall. One of the most, that, that, that the Lord, and through his prophets, chastised his people far more often than any other mm -hmm. was forgetfulness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you know, it, whether it be uh, the shooting skills or, um, or, or just about anything else, I'm sure uh, in, in uh, uh, medical skills, uh, you know, emergency room uh, techniques, uh, if you don't use them, you lose them. That's right. That's right. And that's part of the reason that we in our what we call our castle discipleship. The castle is simply a word picture we adopted when we were in Spain to help people apply what Second Peter 1 tells us. That is, after we leave, we will remember these things. And so basically what we did is, is take uh, that word picture of a castle and attach biblical truths to that. And this is an old memory system that the Greeks actually would use improving their oratory skills where they could talk for hours on end without notes. And the reason they could is because they in their mind's eye would simply attach points of their speech to different things in their room. And years ago um, uh, there were men, uh, Jerry Lucas, the famous basketball star uh, that uh, was <laughs> was known both uh, in, in the uh, collegiate realm as well as in the professional realm, later became a Christian uh, and a very well-known Christian. Actually, he started a camp 
that in my uh, my Charleston days, I actually attended in California, and it was a scripture memory camp where we in Northern California we spent two weeks memorizing scripture. Uh, now this was not word for word exact memorization like we did in the Navigators. This was thought for thought, uh, but nonetheless it was very beneficial uh, because it allowed us to be thinking in larger ways and hiding God's word in our heart. But nonetheless learning memory techniques that have been used by Christians and non-Christians throughout the ages. And sadly, most Christians today have neglected those things. And so we've, as it were, brought it back into our castle training so that people could remember the scriptures and how it touches all of life. Because sadly, as you well know, Bill, even though Jesus says he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, sadly, most of the church today think he's this Lord over salvation and thus has nothing to do with the state or any of these other uh, areas of power, whether it be the church, the family, or the individuals. And yet uh, we know in the scriptures that God has instituted four great powerful structures in every culture. Uh, and we call, we call them in our castle training, power centers. Uh, and that's very simply self-government, family government, church government, and civil government. And all of these power structures are designed by God to fight evil. And if they aren't used to fight evil, they will breed idolatry. And this is at the heart of our training where we uh, help our both young people as well as older people understand that we will never be able to, as or stand still in the Christian life. We're either going to be growing or we're going to be atrophying. That is, we're going to be, be withering away, and we need to, it's like with our muscles. If you, if you put a cast on your muscle, uh, within two weeks, you open that cast, that muscle is going to be, arm is going to be half the size of your other arm that didn't have that use. And so, same thing with spiritual muscles. And so, what we want to do is to help people see, through the scriptures, the importance of seeing how Jesus is Lord over every aspect of life. And when he's not, wherever we're not present, that is, wherever we don't have the light and that salt uh, effect in those areas, evil will, in fact, uh, be reigning where they, it shouldn't reign. And so that's one of the many reasons why we include these memory hooks uh, in the castle to help them memorize Scripture and be able to utilize Scripture and applying it to all of life. Another, uh, another area... Uh, where memory is important, and I know that this is perhaps not as prevalent in Reformed circles as we as it should be. It, it's almost non-existent in just broadly evangelical circles, and that is in the use of the catechism. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, I can re I remember listening to a, a, a brother that we both esteem, Vody Bacham, mm -hmm. talking about using the catechism. Uh, as sort of the template for dis discipling one's children, and or I presume also, of course, in the Navigators we had the you know the the Design for Discipleship series, and uh, but but and and it was interesting because they they were teaching us biblical facts, but as you know we, we the we the the model is flawed in the sense that it doesn't teach Reformed theology. Uh, it, 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 you, you have a lot of the dots without connecting many of them. Exactly. 
but that's that's a particular strength, would you say, of the of the catechism? Mm-hmm. It is, and that's one of the reasons why in our castle training, uh, both the reading and memorizing of the Westminster Sorted Catechism as well as the Children's Catechism is included in the, our training. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the things that we have done throughout the, the years, as you know, uh, the Lord's given us six children, one with the Lord, we have five with us here. And uh, during those early years, we not only catechized our children, but we uh, included something that we called gymnastic catechism. And this is where, again, building those relationships where we would, I would literally, as their father, sit on the floor with them, they would stand in the catechism position, which is a modified attention and at ease stance. And the reason being is because little children are known to move all the time. And part of the discipline of family worship uh, and catechism is to simply help them stand still. A discipline that every child needs to learn because it does not come naturally. And so what we would literally do, I would sit down on the floor, they would stand before me, and I would catechize them. And the what we would do is not only have them have that question and answer, who made you God? Why didn't God make you? Or what else did God make? All things. Why did God make you uh, for his own glory? How do you glorify God uh, and, uh, by loving him and doing what he commands? All these different things. And then after we would do that, we would reward them with certain what we again call gymnastic catechism, where I would literally flip them in the air and I would have physical gymnastic kind of events where daddy would, and this is for boys and girls, by the way, up until they're maybe 10 or 12, depending on how large and how fast they grow, then you have to, to, to move on to something else. But while they're small, they literally are flipped in the air and, I, and we could uh, maybe show that later on when you have video that uh, with this audio presentation, uh, and uh, and be able to show, especially fathers, how and this is the beauty of it, because not only are you creating a time where you're building into the life of your children, but you're connecting that with physical TLC, tender loving care, where the children are going to remember not only am I learning truth in a way that I can pass it on to others. That's the transgenerational aspect of it. But also, I'm equating it with fun, loving time with my daddy. And this is sadly, again, something missing that, uh, that uh, many individuals, uh, and this is part of discipleship, the whole aspect of family worship is, is a missing jewel uh, in our, uh, our set or in the, using the different uh, word picture, uh, a different, different uh, missing power in our armory, different, uh, different tool that's missing in our armory uh, of spiritual warfare. Now, obviously, this, this, this segues nice into what I was going to go back and ask you about, because obviously you don't do gymnastics with your grown men that you're, and women that you're discipling. <laughs> we change the gymnastics. We do different kinds. <laughs> Won't you speak a little bit to, you know, broadly, uh, about the types of of um, atmosphere that that need to be created in order for this life on life transforming power to to be realized? I know, in in, in and I've mentioned this several times. Uh, I always coffee always tastes better at your house than anywhere else to me. I always look forward to it. We sit down in your 
you have your corner chair and I have a chair across the way and we and we and we, and of course we'll talk long into the night but I know where the coffee cups are in your house uh, I've gotten up many mornings and gone in and made coffee although your curric is a little, sometimes a little bit cantankerous nevertheless that really to me that I talk about the church in the kitchen or the fact that you 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 build this is building time building relationships investing time with people how do you go about a discerning who to invest in and who not to invest in and I, I know the illustration you're going to give us but also what are the sorts of activities that you found over the years uh, most conducive to actually uh, building into men's lives and, and 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 certainly I guess women too you you've discipled both typically in husband and wife right. settings but in, in, so in other words how does the home figure in uh, and what other sorts of activities do you recommend or encourage people to look as at, at workshops or uh, uh, venues for profitable discipleship time right great question and again the the central playing field the central gymnasium as it were is in fact the home and this is where again one of those those missing elements come in possibly because of the many blessings the Lord has given us in this country that is America the United States of America and that we have churches with buildings and beautiful facilities and yet nothing can compare to the home no matter how big the church is no matter how wonderful the church is set up nothing absolutely nothing beats the home in several regards number one it's where people live where real life takes place number two it's something that you can replicate anywhere you go on earth whether it be uh, it be Ethiopia whether it be uh, China whether it be any other place uh, you can replicate this anywhere everybody at some degree or level has a home that you can invite people to and this is why hospitality is at the very core of biblical discipleship because this is where you see the warts this is where you see people as they really are and and uh, and no one can put on for that time amount of time and not be real and so so what we do is our our central discipleship activity and I would say probably 90% if not more of our time is right here in our home uh, either in our castle room that you and I are in right now or the living room or the dining room the backyard uh, any one of these places where people and we have a very modest home so it's nothing that is from a physical standpoint to brag about uh, but it does have indoor plumbing it has clean water uh, and it's clean uh, as a house and people and because of that uh, internationals in particular they gravitate to this like bees to honey and the reason being is because this is where culture is lived out this is where culture is formed and as we know in the reformed world culture is nothing less nothing more than religion real religion externalized uh, and so what we want to do is especially for our international friends is let them see this is how Christians real Christians live 
And this is where, for example, one of the things that we tell them that when we first invite them into our home, uh, that we let them know that, that as American Christians, America is simply because this is our country, we want them to know that we're not afraid to talk about God. We're not afraid to talk about politics. We're not afraid to talk about the Bible. We're not afraid to talk about money. We're not afraid to talk about anything. Now, and the reason being is because God commands us not to fear. <laughs> things were to fear Him. And when we don't fear Him, we will end up fearing things or people. And so what they are able to see is that this is a safe place for them to come and talk about anything they want and know that they will be able to be not only accepted, but also challenged lovingly on areas where the Scripture teaches that they might be amiss, as it were. And so for us, hospitality is the place where ministry gets done. That is the number one place. Now, obviously, there are more locations that we take people to where we do ministry, but that's the heart of it. And again, the beauty is because this is where everyone can model it, no matter where they live on earth. So even in your typical American um, congregation, you think probably more real discipleship or disciple making and iron sharpening goes on in small groups if they have them than ever goes on in the main uh, the main service each week or oh absolutely and again this is taking nothing away from the power of the preached word uh, we no, in no way want to diminish the the uh, the exegetical power of scripture systematically preached every week uh, but tragically people think that because they have a banquet on Sunday, they don't have to eat the rest of the week, spiritually speaking. Uh, and if we did that physically, we would be as weak as can be come Friday or Saturday. Sat tra tragically, in the spiritual realm, that's done all the time, and people don't see the, the, uh, the, the, the cause and effect of that. Do you think that's because there's, there, do you think that there is an overemphasis uh, in the homiletics training in most seminaries on being able to put uh, put forth a feast to the people rather than the real than, than uh, communicating uh, pastorally the how to feed yourself and and, and 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 so it's more like the mama bird baby bird scenario um, people aren't being trained they're going there to be fed when they really should be going there to get trained. Uh, the Word says he gives apostles and, and prophets and pastors and teachers for not, for not for great sermons or exegetical masterpieces, but for the work of service, for the training up of the body. Well, absolutely. See, Ephesians 4 is clear that, that we as gifted, gifted meaning this is what God has done, not what we have, but when God gives the gift of a pastor teacher, for example, or we would call a coach, a player coach today, in in a in a physical sense, uh, that it's to train others for works of ministry. That's the that's the the phrase that the scripture uses in Ephesians four, and we don't want to and again and take away the power of preaching now, but but and so I I would I would say that that the seminaries can never overemphasize the importance of preaching. Sadly, what's simply left undone is to train those men also in 
small team tactics, as it were. That is, to help men build fire teams, to help men build the, either the family or the small group structure so that they too can replicate that. Because not everybody's called to be a preacher and a teacher. Uh, and sadly, half the men that go to seminary find out that they are not called to do that. And many times after they've been in a church for a couple of years and realize that's not what God has called them to. And so what our seminaries need basically is to add to uh, their their training is that relational aspect of getting into the homes, having one-on-one personal responsibility, training in scripture memory, scripture meditation we haven't even, even talked touched on yet, and other disciplines, singing the scriptures, praying the scriptures, other things of that nature. Uh, obviously, the scripture tells us as you go, make disciples, or be making disciples. Mm-hmm. It's not referring to missions exclusively, mm-hmm. but what you're doing all day long. Mm-hmm. And you've obviously encountered people in our case. I approached you back in 1980 and asked you whatever I asked you about, you know, being accountable or something like that. But you run into men, obviously, in your, in your role as a, a campus minister. And also, as you're going about your business, just being a citizen of this beautiful little town. Uh, what are the things you look for? What are the criterion you look for? Uh, and what are the... I know back in the NAS, we used to have almost like it was a, like a checklist. In your, from your experience now, 40 plus years of doing this, what are the skills that are vital that you impart to a, a, a man or woman that you're seeking, by God's grace to see, built up into becoming a reproducer what are the skills and 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 what are you looking for in the, in people that you that you uh, identify as providentially being people you ought to invest in well Bill, i think you know the answer to that and we learned it back in the navigator days we look for fat men and by that i don't mean obese men or women that have excess adipose tissue uh, we're not talking about physical Uh, dimensions of people. We're talking about people who are faithful, available, and teachable. That is, are they coachable? And and tragically, uh, that uh, many people today are not in that condition. And so what I'm looking for, and it makes no difference as to the age or the the qualification of the individual, are they going to be faithful? Have they shown themselves faithful in the little things? Have they, have they shown themselves willing to, to do the little assignments that might have been given them? And are they, are they teachable? Or do they think they know it all? Uh, because uh, I'm looking for coachable folks and folks willing to be able to pass these truths on to others. And primarily for men who want to take this responsibility to train their wives so that together they can train their children, so that together they can train their community, so that together they can train their county, so that together they can train their state. To the, and you see the picture. Right. Um, so those are the things I'm looking for. Now the skills, I think that, that was the other thing you asked for? I, I did. Even before you go to the skills, the okay. skills that are, are necessary to be imparted, just like obviously if you're going to be a combat Marine, uh, it's essential that in 
your boot camp and in your A school and in your your special C school training and all that. There's it's it's essential that if you're going to be a survivor and a victor, you have to acquire skills mm-hmm. and become proficient in those skills. But my other question is is when you encounter people, whether it be on the college campus or whether it be men at a pastor's conference or are in a church service and people you for whatever reason are attracted to you or you find yourself talking what are you offering them because everybody thinks they're okay mm-hmm. everybody thinks that they're pretty much hey i'm in church you know i have my bible uh, i listen to christian radio you know i'm not out at the bars on the weekends mm-hmm. uh, but what are the sorts of diagnostic questions that you would use or what are that you're to, to help them to realize mm-hmm. that there's deficiencies in their Christian life um, and, and 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 how do you how do you attract them what, what are you offering them mm-hmm. I mean you say you know obviously you know you know say God's looking for a few good men you know <laughs> I mean you know what, what is the hook it depends on the individual uh, probably the most important discipline over the past 40 years that I've learned is simply the skill of asking good questions. That is, using my ears twice as much as I use my mouth. And so I will, for example, with our international students, and this is, by the way, especially for your, uh, your listening audience right here, every single one of the individuals that are listening to us right now have a skill that is demanded by thousands upon thousands upon thousands of international students that God sovereignly has sent right here to our backyard. And these are the best of the best, the cream of the crop from every country in the world today. And all of them are clamoring for one particular skill that almost every single one of your listeners has, and that's conversational English. And so one of the things that I offer for our international students is the opportunity to practice conversational English. Now, for many individuals that are from, from the States, or from America, uh, that, that concept of teaching English scares them because they realize they're not English teachers, but they don't need English teachers. All they need are individuals that will help them do two things, build their vocabulary, and help them with their pronunciation. And combining with that, a Christ-like openness to be yourself, to show Christ-like love and concern for them as an individual, as families. Again, it is like uh, uh, bees to honey. And so for the thousands of our international students, all you have to do is offer them an opportunity to improve something that many of them are paying thousands of dollars to receive in tutorial format uh, because they have to take a test even to get into universities but many of them even when they pass that test outside of their area of study are woefully insufficient and so that's where we can provide them incredible opportunities and math that we've developed a whole study based on the Bible because as you know the Bible is the number one book that formed our country and one of the questions I ask our international students is how is it we as a country relatively speaking as, as, as ages of countries go we're not even in adolescence yet compared to for example Egypt or the Middle East or India or China 
I mean, again, we, we're, we're still in almost diapers, as it were. And how is it that we as a country can be the most powerful from a, a monetary standpoint, from a military standpoint, and from a missionary standpoint in less than two, three, four hundred years? Uh, and have people, especially educational standpoint, because that's why they're here, for education. And, and sadly, none of them have really thought through that. Of course, the answer is the liberty that God has given us. And of course, we know where the Spirit of the Lord is. There is liberty. And where does that come from? Well, it comes directly from the truths that we see in God's Word as well as the truth, that is Jesus Christ. And so it allows us to have, as it were, the number one textbook for, that we had in our American schools for over 200 years, that is the Bible. And so we use that for our international friends. Uh, for um, Americans, again, I'm asking questions. I'm, I'm wanting to learn about those individuals. And as I learn about what their needs are, then I pose questions. And so, for example, uh, many uh, of the men ha ha are really want, uh, are deficient And how can I train my wife and my children? How can I be the leader in the home? Because sadly, very few people have sat them down and say, well, here are the things that you can do uh, to be that leader. Most sadly, most men uh, have not had that one-on-one -on -one time. And so um, I'm on the lookout, as it were, for men who are ready to, to want to, to grow in those areas. Or men, for example, that especially in the last several years that the security has been an issue. Uh, and that's why we use marksmanship as one of our, one of our discipleship tools. Uh, and not just simply because we love the Second Amendment, although we do, but it, be, it provides us with a cultural tool to help them learn the positive duties of the Sixth Commandment. And so things like that, that we can use modern things, everyday things that people uh, have in their lives, and we're just simply asking questions, uh, being open to them, uh, and being able to meet those needs biblically, because they all fit into our castle uh, training, which is a, a reformed world of life Christian uh, worldview. Well, listen, I, you know, you know uh, true to form, we could sit here and talk for a couple hours, but we're gonna we want to go ahead and bring this episode to uh, to a conclusion for now. Before we do, uh, I know that you're in the process of getting your Castle Discipleship program online. Uh, what is your and, and when it is available, we will be sure to uh, attach that web that that URL address. To it on the War Room uh, website, so that people can can avail themselves of, of, of some of this information. Uh, are there any any um, pieces of literature, uh, or small books, or large books that you would recommend? Because you know we always like to leave. Uh, you always you always send me away with a with with something to read. So what do you think that uh, the listeners? should familiarize themselves with uh, to uh, continue to uh, consider the topic that we've discussed tonight? Good question. Uh, first of all, I'd like the, your listeners to pray for us uh, because, again, we are an ordinary means of grace ministry uh, that have extraordinary power because of those ordinary means of grace. And so one of those ordinary means of grace being prayer is that we would ask that you pray for our 
our Castle Training that hopefully will be online shortly, and it will be at castletraining.org. That's castletraining, all one word, dot org. And we're hoping to have this uh, up within the, the, the month, as it were. And from there, they'll be able to literally download in PDF format uh, the different materials we give, including songs, including uh, illustrations and other things we use with our international students, as well as with our American students and pastors and fathers and, and families, as it were. And so that hopefully will be online soon. Um, in regard to reading material, uh, there, there are a number of, uh, of great uh, pieces of literature, one uh, being the one you just mentioned, uh, Disciples Are Made Not Born, uh, but the other one is The Training of the Twelve by A.B. Bruce that is probably one of the best uh, written years ago, uh, and uh, it, it basically shows uh, in a very, very systematic fashion how Jesus did his ministry. So the training of the twelve would be a good, thick, but yet uh, well-rounded book. The other uh, is uh, one that, uh, to see the implication of it, is by a, uh, a man that is actually doing it, and his name is Vishal Mangalwati, uh, which is uh, an Indian scholar who is... Uh, uh, actually doing all that we're talking about in India as well as in Oxford and Cambridge in England as well as in the States. Uh, but uh, uh, he has a, uh, several great books, uh, but, uh, but the one that probably the best one would be go, the, 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 the uh, book on transformation, the cultural transformation. But Vishal Mangalwati uh, is the, uh, the author's name and the scholar's name. You can Google that. There's thankfully several uh, lectures he has on tape, uh, but uh, the the one MP3 file that everybody, everybody, especially our Reformed men and women, uh, need to listen to is our, our buddy Dawson Trotman, Born to Reproduce, uh, because even though Dawes wasn't known uh, as a theologian, because he wasn't one, but he knew how to train others and knew the heart of that training. So, uh, and thankfully that too is free online, Born to Reproduce. And uh, once they read those books and uh, listen to that, they can call you or keep up with you on your Facebook, uh, and then we can uh, give them other assignments. <laughs> Super. Well, Jack, we hope that this is just the first of several uh, uh, opportunities we have to uh, host you here as a guest uh, on The War Room. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us in the war room. Please enjoy The Nation's Rage, Psalm 2, by My Soul Among Lions. Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete weekly lineup of seven distinct shows. You can subscribe now to your favorite shows on iTunes, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed on iTunes, where all of the content we produce, 
including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner financially with this ministry. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom. <laughs>